Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Ricky Brown, the founding and lead pastor of New Creation Church in Chicago's Hyde Park neighborhood. Today, we'll be continuing the series, The Jesus I Never Knew. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays, streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. How is Jesus human? It's an intriguing question because sometimes we have a hard time believing that the Jesus who rose from the grave for our sake was and is just like us. It is through Christ's humanity that we are able to better understand who God is, a God who was willing to walk among us as one of us. Well, hello, Community Christian. My name is Ricky Brown. I'm the founder and pastor of New Creation Church in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago. And I am so excited uh, to be with you today to open God's Word with you. And I want to just rush uh, to express my gratitude to both Dave and John Ferguson and the entire uh, family here at Community. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for all of the work uh, that you are doing uh, in the kingdom. I am a part of the New Thing gang. New Thing family, and I'm so excited to be here in Naperville uh, to open God's Word with you. We are in week four of our series, The Jesus I Never Knew. Uh, In this series, we're focusing on a side of Jesus that many of us overlook, His humanity. Uh, Most American Christians today focus so much on Jesus' divinity, uh, that is the fact that he was indeed God, that we almost completely disregard his humanity. And that can be very problematic because when we forget Jesus' humanity, we fail to see him as someone who can relate to what we go through every day. We assume he didn't experience many of the limitations you and I experience. And if Jesus can't relate to our humanness, he becomes less and less of an example for us to follow. It would be like Superman telling you and I to fly, uh, but without giving us superpowers. That wouldn't be very fair, right? But Jesus wasn't superhuman. And the writer Hebrews describes Jesus in this way. Uh, for this reason, he had to be made like them, a fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, Somehow, while maintaining his divinity, his godness, uh, Jesus became a human being just like us, with human limits, human realities, and human challenges Jesus became fully human. And that makes him so much more relatable when it comes to our topic for today, temptation. Now, don't don't turn yet. Stay right there. Uh, In order to help us get a grasp on what temptation can possibly look like, I want to tell you a story of the uh, powerful, uh, performing, and popular eagle. Uh, This eagle got hungry one day and he was uh, circling around and there was this low lying area and there was a stream running through it. And in this stream, there was a log 
And on this log, it looked like it had something that would be good for the eagle to eat. So even though the water seems to be picking up and moving a little bit faster, the eagle decides, hey, I'm powerful. Uh, I am at the top of the chain. There's nobody better than me in the animal kingdom. I'm powerful. I'm the eagle. So he decides to swoop down and he nibbles a little bit and he uh, eats a little bit and then he takes off and he's on his way again. But then he circles around and he realizes, you know, I didn't get all of that. There's some more there. And so he he thinks about it. He says, "Uh, uh, I am Fast. There's nobody faster than me. Nobody can perform the way that I do. The eyesight that I have, the the agility, and he swoops down again and he stays a little longer this time. Then he takes off and he's on his way. Then lastly, he says, man, I I got a little crowd around me now. People are watching me. There's nobody in the animal kingdom that can fly as high as I can. They they can do what I can do. Look at all these people. I've got an audience. And and he uh, began to fall to the lie of popularity. And he goes down and he begins to eat some more. And he stays a little longer. And he stays a little longer. And he stays a little longer. And what I didn't tell you is this story takes place in the wintertime. And unbeknownst to this eagle, ice had begun to form around his claws. And the reason why the stream was speeding up is because he was headed for a waterfall. And this powerful, this performing, and this popular eagle went over the edge. Friends, I want to tell you right now why you're listening to this message. It's because it could literally save someone's life. You see... Our identity isn't rooted in our power. It's not rooted in our performance or popularity. Our identity is rooted in Jesus. Look with me, if you will, at Luke 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And here's what we want to label this uh, attack from the enemy as. This is the performance lie. And the performance lie essentially says, I am what I do. Uh, Jesus is about to face 40 days of temptation from the evil one. And here is how it starts. The evil one begins his barrage of temptations by saying, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And the reason why we call this the performance lie is because the devil wants Jesus to believe I am what I do. Uh, This is a bit of a double whammy, if you will, because not only is Jesus hungry, uh, uh, not only is Jesus uh, facing the temptation of hunger, but he is also being told that he needs to prove his identity. You know, in our culture, uh, we don't know what it's like to not eat for 40 days. If we drive to a restaurant and they tell us the wait is 40 minutes, we drive to another restaurant. Uh, Jesus is experiencing a double whammy, if you will. And this part of the attack is attacking his identity. The enemy wants him to believe the performance lie that says, I am what I do. You see, the performance lie, it tempts us with questions like, uh, what have you achieved? 
The performance lie, it attacks us with questions like, what are the other people with your level of education earning right now? And what are you earning? The performance lie, uh, it, it attacks us with questions like, uh, what is your title and what have you achieved and what have you done? The performance lie says that I am what I do. Believing this lie can leave us feeling like we never measure up, like we always have something to prove. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, we are unlikely to be tempted in exactly the same way as Jesus was. But every Christian will be tested at the points which matter most in her or his life and vocation. It is a central part of Christian vocation to learn to recognize the voices that whisper attractive lies to distinguish them from the voice of God and to use the simple but direct weapons provided in scripture to rebut the lies with truth. I want to tell you today, it is to the utmost importance that we learn to do what N.T. Wright says, that we learn to do what Jesus did, that we learn to do what the Bible says, to rebut the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. But the enemy hasn't had enough. He's trying at him again. And so the next thing that we see is the power lie, which says, I am what I possess. Luke 4, 5 through 7, it says, the devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So in this second temptation, the devil leads Jesus up to this high place and he says, look around. Look at this. This can all be yours. All you got to do is, is, just, is just acknowledge me. You see, He's saying to him, you can have dominion over all of this. You you can rule all of this. You can be the supreme leader over all of this. You don't have anything right now, but you could control everything, Jesus. All all you got to do is just acknowledge me and just worship me. So much of the evil present in our world today has come about from our human propensity to be tempted by power. See, we all fall for the power lie that simply says that the way to be somebody in this world uh, is to be above other people. The one who gets to impose their desires on other people is the one that's in power. You see, when we buy into this power lie, we are in essence bowing down to the evil one. Uh, Jesus would get to prove his chance, uh, get a chance to prove his power in another way. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. That proves the power of Jesus. You see, what you and I have to understand is because of this display of power, you and I have eternal life. You see, what makes you powerful in Christ is not how many people you are over. What makes you powerful in Christ is how many people you are willing to lift up. You see, it's not about how you help yourself. It's about helping people find their way back to God. When we get to help play a role by helping people have eternal life, when we get to uh, help people find their eternal security in Christ, that's powerful. When we B-L-E-S-S people, when we bless people, 
and they eventually put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Next, he hasn't had enough. He comes at him again, and he comes at him this time with the popularity lie. The popularity lie simply says, I am what others think of me. And in this third temptation, the evil one leads Jesus to the top of the temple and challenges him to jump. And after all, no better way to amass a bunch of followers than to do something spectacular. Now, for historical reference, um, uh, the temple was the center of the Jewish world. There would have been a great number of people, a great crowd of witnesses to watch Jesus do this quite ridiculous stunt, jumping from the top. And notice how the evil one starts his final temptation. He simply says, once again, if you are the son of God, he comes at Jesus' identity. Uh, if you really are somebody, show everybody. And so what I want to share with you is how Jesus is able to resist temptation during each of these attacks that he experiences from the evil one. You see, before this episode of temptation, of these attacks with the enemy, uh, when Jesus is tempted, first he was baptized. And Luke 3, 23 and 22 says, a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. You see, Jesus is able to resist the upcoming temptation because he knows who he is. I love this word in the Bible, therefore, and essentially a good Bible study tool is whenever you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And I believe that this is almost a silent therefore, like a, a spiritual therefore. Come with me, if you will. Jesus, he's baptized and he hears the voice of his father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the very next thing he experiences is. Attacks on his identity. So it's almost as like Jesus can say, therefore, because I am the son of God, therefore, I am not what I do. Or therefore, because I am the son of God, therefore, I am not what I have. Because I am the son of God, therefore, I am not what others say that I am. I want to say to you today, because you are a son of or daughter of God, therefore, you are not what you do. Because you are a son or daughter of God, therefore, you are not what you have. Because you are a son or daughter of of God. Therefore, you are not what others say that you are. And Jesus, he rebuts, he refutes, he pushes back, if you will, on temptation over and over again by saying it is written. He repeats the word of God. He says it is written. I want to leave you with this final story. Um, my mom, you know, I grew up over in holiness. Let me help you out what that means. That means that I grew up in a church that maybe had a little bit of an overemphasis on holiness. Uh, uh, it was a lot of focus on this long list of things that we don't do. And I'll never forget, you know, uh, growing up, my mom, almost every question I would ask her sometimes, she would answer it with this one question back to me. She would say, does it glorify God? 
Let me explain. If that was a party that wasn't like a party with, you know, cake and uh, goofy hats, but, you know, a party party. Hey, mom, listen, I know that we don't we don't party, but but can I go to this party because all my friends are going? She would ask me, does it glorify God? Hey, hey, mom, uh, uh, can I go to this movie? Uh, what's the movie rated? It's rated R. OK, you're 13. Why do you want to see a rated R movie? Uh, mom, can I please go to the movie because all my other friends are going? Uh, does it glorify God? Mom? Can I buy this this music? Uh, does this music have profanity in it? Well, yes, it does. Uh, son, does it glorify God? To finally one day, uh, being the heathen that I was, I got mad at my mom and I said, Mama, I don't want to glorify God. <laughs> and here's what she said to me. She said, son, you live in my house. And as long as you do, you will glorify God. I believe that what Jesus is getting at with his interaction with the evil one, with the tempter, if you will, when he says it is written, he's simply saying, if there is one thing the enemy can't stand, is God getting glory. And when he says it is written, he's simply asking him, does that glorify God? Does that glorify my father for me to believe that I am what I do? Does it glorify God for me to believe that I am what I possess? Does it glorify God to believe that I am what people think about me? Does that glorify God? And you know what Satan will respond to you when you ask him that question? He'll say, I don't want you to glorify God. And here's what you tell him then. As long as Jesus lives on the inside of me, I will glorify God. John 1 and 12 says this, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray first and foremost that you experience what Jesus experienced. And that is this overwhelming affirmation from the father that you are indeed a child of God. That's that's number one. Because our identity is rooted in Christ, it's not rooted in how we perform. It's not rooted in how much power we have. It's not rooted in how much popularity we have. It's rooted in the fact that we are are indeed children of God. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for every single person who has tuned in to this broadcast today. And God, I'm asking you, that you will with overwhelming clarity, with overwhelming affirmation, bear witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. We are yours. We know who we are and we know whose we are. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 